poder hablarte Decirte cuánto te amo y abrazarte Como antes Quisiera sentir tu risa Volver a tocar tus manos Siempre tibias Cada día Quisiera Bienvenidos a Radio Menea. I'm Miriam Soila Pérez. And I'm Vero Ayeti Flores. And on this podcast, we bring you a mix of mainstream and alternative jams by Latinx artists, usually around a theme. But today we are doing our Meneito Número 6. Welcome to our in-between weekly episodes. Yay! Basically, we just bring songs that we've been jamming on lately. And this song is my pick that we're starting with, and it's by Tito Nieves. It's from 2004, and it's called Fabricando Fantasías. And it's just so sweet and so many feelings. Yeah, it's sweet and sad. It's super sad. So it, clearly it was about loss, and I was trying to figure out, is it loss of like a partner or whatever? But then we mm -hmm. realized through some sleuthing that um, this song is actually dedicated to his son, who died of bone cancer at age 24. She's so sad. <laughs> yeah, it's devastating. I know, pobrecito. So he has one other son um, named Humberto. And actually, we, we brought, I brought him and his son to this podcast before during, um, we did a covers episode, and they have a Michael Jackson tribute song cover. And so yes, I, brought, I brought their Michael duo. Jackson tribute. Like tribute. I know, yes. I know. <laughs> so we brought him before, um, but I, I remember the song. I feel like I heard it growing up, probably like on the radio in Miami or something. It just feels like a classic to me. Um, mm -hmm. Just all the classic elements of a beautiful salsa song, including a lot of feelings. <laughs> all the feelings. So many. All the feelings. All the feelings. And like usually the feelings are about love and unrequited love and da-da-da. And this is a little bit different since it's about love but for a son. And like wanting to believe that he's still alive and like remembering him. And that's why he's fabricating all these fantasies where his son is still around. Yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. If you watch yeah. the video on our blog post um, about this episode, you'll see there's lots of pictures of his kid, his son as a child and stuff. And... Pobrecito Tito is like in his feels for real on this one. That's right. He is Puerto Rican, pretty well-known salsero. I think he's kind of one of the greats of salsa. Um, apparently he's considered El Pavarotti de la Salsa. Oh, <laughs> according, okay. according, according to Wikipedia. So as much as that is a source. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I think his, his peak was really in the 80s and 90s. Um, so All right. I don't actually know yeah. what he's doing these days, what he's making music these days. But but yeah, he's from Puerto Rico, but he's raised in the mainland U.S. And um, mm -hmm. it's just I am always going to be a sucker for classic salsa songs that make me remind me of my childhood. And just it feels like joy and home and nostalgia and like all these different things at once. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That oh. Growing up, like, for me at parties, and still now, like, anytime we'd have a party, a family party or whatever, like, it would end with dancing. Was your family into dancing in that way? No, no. My dad's, like, more of, like, a pull up my pants and lean back kind of, like, he's not a dancer. <laughs> with also, a 40? I mean, <laughs> no. 
Um, I think that like he, um, part of that is that because my dad's family is Italian, they're Italian yeah. immigrants to Venezuela. Right. So right. Um, my dad's never been a dancer. I mean, I think that at parties from like my like my the, my mom's side of the family. It doesn't usually end in dancing. People are usually like playing dominoes and drinking mm. whiskey. And then, like, you know, there's like the mujeres are like talking or whatever. Um, Got it. So it's, it doesn't, there hasn't been a lot of dancing. I mean, obviously at weddings and stuff, there's dancing, but it's just never a huge part of my family's culture, right? It was always like the dudes playing dominoes and the women off somewhere else cleaning up after mm. them, probably. You know yeah. what I mean? And like the kids right. just like running around playing. And my because my dad is, um, you know, he was born and raised in Venezuela, but he was like Italian from an Italian family. He didn't have that like, he can like, mer- he can del- dance merengue, but he can't salsa for shit. Yeah. You know? And Sounds it's just hard. not part of his cultural yeah. connection necessarily, right? Yeah. He's like culturally connected to Venezuela as a place that he grew up, but he was also like a, like a Italian immigrant yeah. kid there, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. My mom's side of the family, this doesn't happen. Like, so that's the, like, they were also immigrants to Cuba from Eastern Europe. They're Jewish immigrants. So not a lot of dancing except like at weddings, like you said, but my dad is a big dancer and like, Mm -hmm. and my, and on my dad's side, like Nochebuena and parties like that would definitely always end up dancing. Actually, even last year at Nochebuena with my, it was just my dad, my brother and my stepmom and I, my brother actually took some pictures of my dad and I dancing bachata. (laughs) It was cute. I was like, I didn't, bachata is not something I grew up with or that he necessarily grew up dancing, but he's an amazing salsetto and just a really good dancer overall. And, um, so we were just doing a little bachata together and actually like did pretty well, especially cause he was follow, he was leading and I'm like a pretty terrible follow, but he's a really good lead. So Mm -hmm. we were able to figure it out. So that was sweet. So even, at our little, like, very toned down to Chihuahua's now. Um, there's just, I guess there's always music on. And so the music that my dad listens to is going to be music that's dancing music because that's just what we like to listen to. So I feel like yeah. a little bit of booze and some music, and it doesn't take much to all of a sudden start a dance party. Yeah, which, I feel like for me yeah. it wasn't, you know, like my family wasn't so into music at all, really. Right. You know, like if there was right. music on, it was like whatever was on in like the general world, right? Like people yeah. and a party was like a lot of eating and, you know, dominoes. <laughs> that's mm, that's what yeah. the party was. I remember, I remember dominoes for sure, but not not at like parties more of like a casual thing that happened on the side so where do you think your love for music came from because mine I feel like I draw a lot back to my family and growing up with music I don't know I don't know it's uh something that I'm really kind of like the only actually my little sister loves music too um but we're like sort of like weirdos in our family um nobody else in my family feels that strongly about it my mom likes music but doesn't really make any effort to yeah. listen to it or to seek it out. And I mean, I think that might be a matter of like, that was not, uh, you know, she didn't have time to do that or that was not like what was like considered that she needed to spend her time doing is like entertaining herself, you know? Whereas like, yeah. I feel like we're, um, you know, like in an American context and where like, I don't like have a husband or kids or nothing to look after. Like I am really privileged with my time in that way that I can really decide what, what I do mm. with it in so many ways Right. that right. I don't think she had, um, with her right. time. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I think there's, I mean, I, I was thinking like for me, I think music, my love of music besides being about like roots and cultural heritage and like connecting to my Latinidad and my childhood, it's also just about 
a venue for my feelings. <laughs> like that there's mm. no, I think I've said this before that there's like no better thing for me when I'm having a strong feeling than finding a piece of music that reflects it back to me. And I feel like I can yeah. always do that. And I have to give a little shout out to Jay Balvin because <laughs> I've been finding a lot of reflection of my feelings in his um, music the last couple of weeks. Yeah, for me, it's <laughs> an aesthetic. I, <clears throat> it's like a connection of like a like an aesthetic connection. I'm really yeah. an aesthetic person in general, both visually um, and um, like in the way that I dress and in the way that I like put together my home. And I think aesthetics are really important to me. And for me, I think music is a similar like aesthetic connection, right? I like it's mm. a search for beauty. Um, and that's why I think uh. that partially lyrics are, you know, like the last thing I'm right. paying attention to usually right. in, in yeah. music. I will, I could like, there's some songs that like I would say that I'm familiar with and I would love and like, I like know every word to, I think, but then like I put it on karaoke and I'm like, Oh, actually I don't know the words to this song because right. like, it's not what I listen to, you know? Right. Yeah. That makes sense. And that, I feel like that's really reflected in our, our tastes mm-hmm. and, and the ways we relate to music. So Totally. Cool. Thanks for letting me psychoanalyze you for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Sneak it in there. Sneak it in. All right. What's your first song for, or your only song for this Manito? My song that I'm bringing to this Manito is a song that I have been listening to so much lately. This is, this artist is called Wiki and this song is called Islander. On an island trying to peep the horizon from the highest peak in the sky in Puerto Rico Island, Manhattan shined to buy him a place I've been Can't replace my hiding place where I arrived in Give you a taste of the pace on this island, little giant, little defiant Really Orion, spew the saliva, live with the Jews, men are up with cider Mixing the stew and he dying, shout Carlos, man, also a writer Shout stop, also a writer, it's the truth, I admire Chill with my boo, I'm on wire, don't know what to do when he fired up Strut up with the muscle to fire Yo, Wick, what's going on, man? Talking to A, that's my OG, gave me my name. Must have been 13, first hitting with game. Said, rap about you, so I spit out the train. Decade later, Wick, you gon' sit and complain? Damn, come on, man, what do you like? I like the one train, bagel with locks, crushing the mic like the sunset on the Hudson. Look at the light, he looked at me like, right? Why you still pouting? Ain't listening. I've been super in love with the song lately. It came out in August and I like listened to it back then and I liked it, but then, you know, it just like got lost, lost in the sauce, you know, like you like listen to, I, at least I try to listen to so many new things and then like some of it sticks right away and some of it doesn't really stick. But then I just remembered that I'd listened to this and liked this, you know, maybe like a month or two ago. And um, I was like, oh, I love this so much. And it's been in my regular rotation since. Um, And so this artist is Wiki. Some of our listeners might be familiar with his former project, Rat King, which is uh, this really cool hip hop group that did some really interesting stuff. They had one album, but they developed a pretty big following. And so this is Wiki's uh, solo effort right now it's his solo debut and I think there's a couple of things that I really like about this song one is I think that the production is really on point and there's sort of two segments of this song 
and uh, I'm I love like this is an opening track for the album, mm. and maybe I like am of a certain age, but I started listening to music really seriously like around like the album, right? Like I'd listen to a whole album, yeah. and yeah. I. Would I feel like it makes a really big difference to me whether the opening track of an album is really good or not, up mm. to the way that I think about that album. And I just the fact that this is the opener and it's so good, I just I'm I just really love that. It's just like a weird little thing <laughs> that well, I have. But oh. no, but it's something that's gotten lost in like the generation of music now because people rarely listen to albums. And even if right, you do, you're not right. like I feel like shuffle is like the default, right? And so people are not listening to albums in the order in which they were intended. And I don't know if artists are putting less meaning into that or if we're just losing out on a whole depth of meaning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, I think that like it <laughs> used to be that people did put a lot of meaning and thought into um, what it is. And maybe now it's less important because people listen to singles and like, that's cool too. I'm not trying to be like, no, like be how that's like trying to tell people how to live their life or listen to music. But, oh, you know, like as like the person who like came in to listen to music that like that, I really appreciate it. And I feel like this, like the like the production on this track at the like at the beginning it feels like so interesting and different and then it switches halfway through but it still to- totally works yeah. and I I just really love it and also I think it's cool and interesting that um, this song he's talking about being an islander because he's half Puerto Rican he's half Irish and he grew up in Manhattan so mm. he's just like I'm just like an island kid <laughs> and it's really different like islands but yeah really different islands <laughs> it's just funny it's just funny and it like sort of like fucks with this idea that people have of like what an island is people think of like an island and think it's tropical but like you know like Manhattan like this shithole's an island you know like Ireland Ireland's an island you know like all of so I think it's like he's like you know like these all of these islands like are part of of who I am so yeah I really like this song this album is I think generally really fire it's called uh no mountains in Manhattan it's got some Mm -hmm. really hot producers on it too like Kay Trinata produced um one of the songs and it was just hard to pick one song to to showcase so I recommend to you just go go listen to the whole thing for me it's like been like this and Kalila lately for sure I remember this fascinating New Yorker article like in 2006 or some shit now. It was a long time ago, but it was all about the geography of Manhattan before development and like colonization. Um, And that actually like there were, I mean, there weren't mountains, but they were like hills and like altitude. And the only part of Manhattan that is still looks like it did in that time, like when the Dutch first like colonized the area is um, that park that's like way up Inwood. Um, like Northwest Inwood. Inwood Hill Park. Yeah. So that's that part that's been preserved is the only thing that looks anything like Manhattan did like, you know, oh hundreds of years ago. That part really of Manhattan is so beautiful. I love Inwood. I it's so green. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's so Dominican. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like great. You know? It's really, yeah. really lovely. I love yeah. that. Uh, you know, Washington Heights and Inwood, I have a really soft spot in my heart for that part of Manhattan. I know. I remember when you lived there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
One more thing about like the whole switch to away from albums, something that was really meaningful for to me. And I also grew up in like the CD era, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, not albums, mm-hmm. not records, but CDs was the secret track. Yes, the secret track. Um, but I remember it. I, so my first ever CD was Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. <laughs> And I'm I'm dating myself here. And there was a secret track on that album. And I remember sitting there and it was like my first CD on my first boom box, you know, sitting there in my room, like waiting to listening to the silence, waiting for the secret track to come on, you know? So I don't know. There's just like little gems. Yeah, because it was just like the, like you couldn't fast forward to it because it was like the Mm -hmm. end of the last track, right? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you didn't know it was there, you'd miss it, you know, so. You'd miss it. You'd be like, okay, the album's over. Let's turn it off. But usually it's a thing, like, with, like, records too, right? You just, like, leave it playing and you, like, don't forget that it's there. Or I knew, you know, people told you that there was a secret track. Right. Yeah. So I I agree with you. Like, I don't like to, like, overly do nostalgia because shit wasn't always better. And, like, we, there's a lot of innovation that's amazing. And, like, the access that we have to music. And I feel like. Totally. Indie artists have really benefited from the like direct, I mean, as to have indie podcast producers and indie writers, so much of what we do, we can find our audiences way more directly than we ever could when you had to go to a CD store, you know, but, um, of course, but there's pros and cons to, to all the changes, but I, I like this. I'd never, I'd never heard wiki before. never heard the song, but, um, I like how it's almost two songs in one, how there's just such a dramatic shift halfway through. It's pretty cool. It's a great starting track. It really won me over. Check it out. No mountains in Manhattan. Um, there's a video, a picture of him on his Spotify profile. I don't know if you saw mm-hmm. it. Um, where he's got this like big ass grin, and he's missing like two of his front teeth, or three of his front teeth. And I just, I feel like that. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot to say about that. But um, one of the things that struck me is just like being really proud, even of like having you know like teeth and like dental health and like not having particularly front teeth. Um, is a challenge, right? And something that people might have a lot of shame about around access to that stuff. And it's like mad expensive if you're te- you have teeth issues to get them placed and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm, but I feel like he's just got mm-hmm. this like kind of be- it's a beautiful picture of him just grinning yeah, really like loud. Yeah, he's missing like a, a bunch of front teeth and he just yeah. like never fixed them. Mm-mm. Yep. All right. So my last song for this Meneito is called La Candela and it's by Yerba Buena featuring Orisha.
So this song is by a fusion band from Venezuela. Beto, are you familiar with Yerba Buena? I know Yerba Buena. They're not like a group of folks that I listen to, but I right. like I'm familiar with them in the scene. Cool. And then Orishas are a Cuban hip-hop group that we've brought before and that I really like. So I was psyched when I came across this kind of collaboration. Um, I like the sound, I think. And then I it, it really kind of touches on something we've talked about a few times, but um, which is Santeria culture in Cuba. Um, Santeria is a religion that's kind of a hybrid of a number of different influences, but heavily based in West African spiritual tradition. And it's very, very popular in Cuba. And I, interestingly, I actually got more popular. I was in Cuba last year and learned a little bit more about the history. Got more popular in the last couple of decades after the Cuban government like released their ban on religious practice. Because that was one of the things that, you know, communists don't believe in religion or believe religion is the opiate of the masses or all these different things. So they had banned religion mm -hmm. for the first mm -hmm. like 30 years of the um, Cuban revolution. And then when things got really bad economically, post-Soviet Union, they um, basically lifted the ban on religious practice. And what I learned in Cuba was that that actually led to a real strong resurgence of Santeria practice, particularly among people who don't aren't considered black in Cuba. Mm -hmm. So the, the racial context in Cuba is very black and white, even though a lot of the right. white people in Cuba wouldn't necessarily be seen as white outside of Cuba or like in the United States, for example. But but yeah, yeah. there's not really a, a there's not an indigeneity that's recognized in Cuba and it's sort of complicated. So anyway, I thought that was interesting to learn that like Santeria has had a resurgence in that post period and particularly in terms of who practices it. So I don't know enough about Orishas to know exactly mm -hmm. their roots around Santeria, but clearly, I mean, Orishas are the basically gods of Santeria. So clearly like right, they're right. staking a lot of claim to that practice. And, totally. um, and I feel like the way that they talk about it, like in this song, for example, feels as authentic as I can assess as, as an outsider to Santeria. I, I grew up with like some influences of it, but nobody in my family that would ever say they overtly practice Santeria. So I can't claim mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like a family connection to it, but understand some of the references and it seems like a very dedicated um, sort of just depiction really like this song is really a depiction of Santeria yeah. practice it's really interesting to hear the ways um, that uh, Santeria and Orishas and the sort of African diasporic religious practices are sort of making their way into music um, over the mm. past you know few years and this song is from 2005 so it doesn't yeah. sort of fit into that like more recent trend of artists exploring that more overtly in music mm. um but oh it's it is very uh it's it's cool to see it's cool to see that folks because there's been um i think not unconnected from racism and colorism within latin right. america you know it's always been sort of either like hidden or just devalued maybe even if not hidden like devalued in society at large so it's cool to see people just be like yeah this is important this is a part of my of uh, my spiritual practice and we're gonna put it up front here on my art I don't know I feel like there's among my peers like a resurgence or a renewed interest in spiritual practice generally and I don't know if that's you know, when you start to feel something personally, you sort of start to see things that confirm that idea of it being a trend. Um, yeah, and yeah. 
you know, I'm doing my own work in sort of the healing realm as well, but, but it feels like, and I wrote about this for color lines actually, um, and got some confirmation from other spiritual leaders that there has been, there was like post election, post Trump's election or, you know, 45's election that there's been like a resurgence in interest in spiritual practice. I think when, when things get really hard on a big picture level, people look to spiritual traditions to find solace and meaning and comfort. So it makes sense to me too. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would say I would agree with that as a person who's not very spiritual at all. Um, I would say that there's a lot more, uh, you know, I've seen it a lot more among my peers and, and also like among specifically like among political family, right. Whereas I feel like there's been a, there was a long time where I think the, there was like the pendulum song way too intensely to the, like the, you know, like spirituality is, uh, not cool or political or the right thing to do. Right. Like, so now it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you Mm -hmm. know, like I'm still not super spiritual. It's not like a way that, um, I engage a ton with the world around me, but I definitely have seen uh, it a lot more and like more space made for it. And mm-hmm. I think that sometimes, I don't think that comes without problems sometimes. I think that it's very, um, spiritual traditions have like their cultural context. And I, I'm not sure that we're always as careful as we should be in mm. how we and how we think about those things in political spaces. But um, mm. I always do love it when like, you know, people bring in like a spiritual practice that is um, authentic to them. Right. And that like, it, right. this is a part of, of how, uh, you know, like them and their ancestors have uh, survived. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like with anything, it can be misused or abused or um, of course taken yeah. out of context. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, Literally yeah, I just like don't like it when people are like, this is like, you know, indigenous spirituality remix, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I you. like, it's just like, uh, like, it feels really awkward to me. Right. I also think Pero, that, yeah, yeah, that part of it is like, you have to really acknowledge the lineage. Like you have to acknowledge where these things come from. You can't just like totally. pluck them, totally pluck them out of their cultural context and just drop them in your, you know, you know, absolutely Native American absolutely. dream basket when you're not. Native American, right? Like, that's just like, that's Correct. not okay. And that, and that happens a lot. And like, you know, I went to massage school and I sat through years of classes where nobody acknowledged the lineage of any of the practices that they were offering. And I was so frustrated and, and found it yeah. to be really fucked yeah. up and like just sort of, and still a colonial mindset of like, we're going to go somewhere, take these traditions and then, you know, rebrand them and make them scientific and then make them our own. And so, right, um, right. the, you know, the work that I do and like, I'm part of this group called the Oxalis collective where we do actually bring healing, um, kind of curriculum and wellness to activist spaces, like do a lot of work to try to figure out, um, how to bring a variety of tools cause people connect with lots of different things, but to do it in a way that's not appropriate or problematic or, you know, and it's, it's a balance for sure. There's not like a totally easy answer. And then there's people yeah. who don't have any, you know, don't necessarily know what their traditions are or their lineages are or like white yeah. folks who or I think like are, are trying to connect back to like yeah, stuff that they don't back. have a connection to. Yep. And so it's complicated. It's certainly very it complicated. Is. And, you know, it's yep. not like an easy, like one size fits all answer for sure. No, definitely not. All right. Well, from dancing at parties to avoiding spiritual um, appropriation. We just run the gamut today. <laughs> in our That's episode. right. You know, Radio Manea. Welcome to Radio Manea. 
Yes, <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, thanks no, for listening, Just your local y'all. weird music podcast. <laughs> I know. You love us. You love us. Oh, I think we should share something really exciting, which is that we are going to be in L.A. Yes. On November 19th for the Podcasterio Fest. That's right, y'all. If you're going to be in L.A. or near L.A. and can get to L.A. on Sunday, November 19th, there's going to be the Polka Stereo Fest. It's not going to be just us. It's going to be a bunch of other um, Latinx podcast fam. Yeah, and it's not everybody, right? It's like it's in L.A., so it's just like folks who could get there. And there's like mad folks out there who, you know, for whatever reason, like can't get out to L.A. because it's far away, because time doesn't work. It's not the budget, lo que sea. But uh, mm-hmm. there is going to be like a little group of us there, and I'm excited to meet most of y'all. I'm excited to see those of you that I already know, and um, I'm excited to like you know talk to anybody who's coming as like a fan and a listener, and to meet yeah. y'all because that's always my fave. So there's going to be like panel discussions between different podcasts, and then we'll be like hanging out and selling some merch. Well, I think we're mostly going to have rather many stickers, but we would just love to meet people. So um, check out the show notes for a link to um, our pod- our blog post that has all the information, including a link to register to for the Podcast Studio Fest. There are only 250 spots available because it's a small venue, and though the tickets are actually free, but you have to reserve one in advance to be able to get in. Um, and there is actually an op- option to buy a ticket that includes access to an after party. So um, check it out. Hey, come party with us. Clearly, the music is going to be on point. You know, I don't know what their plans are for it. Um, but, yeah. So, yeah. Check out um, RileyMinet.com and you can see a link. And we would love to meet you, L.A. listeners. So, please come out and just hang with all the cool Latinx podcast folks. All right, y'all. Yeah. You can find all of the information about this episode on RileyMinet.com and follow us on social, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're there. We want to connect with you. We love interacting with our listeners. Thank you. Bye. Hasta la próxima. Bye. Pasando y tú no vuelves